Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. It's time. It's time to have real, honest, open, difficult, and inspiring conversations. It's time for Love and Life on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. All right, family, let's get started. Our first guest is only with us for a short period of time. And I think this is such an important conversation. Um, if you will recall, we had the cast of The Cost of Living that visited with us not long ago. And we had a wonderful conversation. But I said something in the conversation that sparked. Um, well, it was more it was more interest. It was more than interest, I should say, but it, it it sparked another conversation because if you will recall, I made the comment when we were talking, I said that I'd preferred the term challenged as opposed to disabled. And I was notified that that wasn't exactly right. So uh, our first guest is one of our love bugs. She's come to talk with us and help to educate me as well as us on terminology and preferences. And I'm grateful for this conversation. Our first guest is Katie Sampson, who is the accessibility consultant for Philadelphia Theater Company's production of Cost of Living, currently running through February 18th. She is a connector a disability self-advocate and storyteller using her lived, her lived experience live. Do you hear me? Using her lived experience as a quadriplegic who is also hard of hearing and her previous teaching in disability studies. She advises organizations and universities on many aspects of disability identity and culture. Family, I invite you to the conversation with none other than Katie Sampson. Hello there, beautiful. Hello. Hello, everyone. Sending love out to all love and life listeners. It's so great to be with you, Carol. And thank you for welcoming me into this space uh, to oh. have this conversation. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I family saw I was sharing with Katie offline that I, I did not, I was unaware that this was a conversation, that there had been a conversation about it, but it makes sense because I was unaware. I did not know. Um, so I'm happy to welcome you in this space and you and family. Listen, you know, you know, I don't mind being corrected as long as you listen, be easy, be easy when you do it. <laughs> but I don't mind being corrected. <laughs> you know, we kind of tend, we tend to take it a little better if you come easily. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's a interesting topic and it's really, um, at the forefront of conversations around disability right now. Um, I also work as the director of education at an organization called ArtReach, which has been in Philadelphia for over 35 years. And um, we're a team of disabled and non-disabled advocates, educators and artists and allies. Um, and we really make the want to make the arts as inclusive space for disabled led by disabled. Um, but I think at the heart of it is really this belief that everyone should have a chance to engage with the arts, which is why I jumped on the opportunity to work with PTC on this production of Cost of Living. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all want to understand the intersectional relationship between disability, race, and poverty um, as we strive to learn from the lived experience of our community. 
to really create lasting change, especially in the city of Philadelphia, where we have the highest rate of disability in the top 10 cities in America. Wait, I'm sorry. Could, what was that? Yeah. Philadelphia has the highest rate of disability in the top 10 cities in America, uh, edging up at about uh, 17%. So and that is based on people who self-identify as disabled. Let me yeah. ask you this. Is that uh, specifically with regard to physical disabilities or just disabilities overall? Overall. Yeah. Okay. So we talk okay. about sensory disabilities, psychological disabilities, um, disabilities related to strength and vitality, like asthma, heart disease, diabetes, things like that. So um, well, one of our family members is asking, Alfred is asking, why is that? Oh, really, really interesting question. Um, you know, obviously, there's um, a lot of deep poverty that happens in this city and uh, and in correlation between deep poverty and disability related to food scarcity, food deserts um, in our city, uh, air quality, access to good quality air for breathing, to going outside and experiencing nature. Um, we also are what's considered a, a high city for medical tourism, which means that a lot of people come to Philadelphia for medical care and end up staying because of the, the quality of medical care that they can receive. Oh my goodness. Medical tourism. I family, you know, I know they say you learn something every day, but I'm learning a lot today. And I, I've, I've never heard that term medical tourism. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, just, Families really having to sacrifice and make that choice, especially sure. moving out of a rural region, moving out of another state that maybe doesn't have um, access to services. Sure. We also have the aside from uh, aside from Florida, one of the highest rates of senior living um, in, in Pennsylvania it's, uh, for for seniors and super seniors. Um so it's a state worthy of sticking around. Um uh, and the longevity of that. So as we age into our bodies and experience, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of change, a lot of physical change, a lot of, um, psychological change. Um, there's a, uh, the wonderful late disability rights activist, Judith human said, um, you know, at some point in time, we all will experience disability. It can be temporary. It can be, um, uh, physical, it can be more permanent, like the disability that I have, um, in, in which I have a spinal cord injury. Um, so, and it can also be situational. You can wake up some days and not feel great. Um, and then you can wake up some days and have a glorious, beautiful day. So yeah. Alfred is following up his initial question with sharing that he lives in Chicago and there is a lot of disinvestment in black communities. Uh, if you know where, if you know, where does Chicago rank as far as that percentage or that statistic is concerned? Um, I, I don't actually know that offhand, but I do know yeah. that information um, in our latest census data is, is um, available for you. And also to, to hone in on certain, certain demographics within the disability community as well. Sure. Um, there's really wonderful tools that can be used for data mapping on disability to really show like neighborhood prevalence and things like that um, as well. So Katie, I know we don't have you for very long this evening. I, the, the, the burning question for me, um, when I stated, when I, when I mentioned or used the term challenged instead of disabled, was that an insult? That's my first question. 
You know, I think um, in the disability community, it would perhaps be labeled as a microaggression um, or an ableist microaggression um, in which, um, you know, you think of it like a little mosquito bite, um, not necessarily like damaging and hurtful as outward language, but we think we think about euphemisms like euphemistic language as um, sort of sidestepping the issue and not confronting it head on. And um, I I really equate it in certain areas of um, you know under uh, underrepresented communities or um, communities of color to think about you know the differences that some younger uh, Black Americans feel about the term African American. Or well, the terms. Adults. I don't care for that term. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and um, you know what? Sorry. Can I inject for one moment? Because mm-hmm. you know, when I when I used the term, I was saying that it, um, I I said challenged instead of disabled because I thought, and family, this is my based upon my own thoughts and feelings. I thought the term or word disabled had some sort of negative connotation, and I thought, well, we all have challenges. But I thought, you know, uh, in the spectrum, there are varying degrees of challenges. Sure. And that was my rationalization for it. Um, so I didn't have the understanding that in any way it would be even the slightest insult. So let me say, because I did not address that when you just said that it could be viewed, seen or felt as a microaggression. Let me just say that I, I apologize to anyone and everyone um, that I insulted or to anyone that felt in any way. Um, that uh, insulted by uh, the term that I used in the statement that I made. Well, thank you. Thank you, Carol. And I, I appreciate it. And I know, you know, community members do and cast members of, of cost of living. And absolutely. I think uh, we're, we're in a, a period of cultural humility where we have to recognize that um, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to um, learn from them. My, my favorite thing I learned recently is um Fail, F-A-I-L, is first attempt in learning. <laughs> um, and so sometimes we fa- we small fail and sometimes we big fail. But um, yeah, so I, I think at the heart of the term disability is a reclaiming of identity sure. uh, and understanding that there are plenty of people out there that have disabilities that they don't want and they they want to eradicate, they want to treat, they want to get better. Um I tend to favor more of a the social model of disability and the sort of political activation model of disability that that really thinks about the world as being disabling and and not myself because I have to deal with that on a regular basis like going to the doctor and you know we we rarely go to the doctor and talk about all the good things that are going on in our minds and our bodies we talk about our aches wait wait, wait. Yeah. I want to go back to this i'm so sorry for cutting you off with this but i really want to go back because i need to understand i want to have a better understanding but we do have to take a short commercial sure, sure. time goes by so quickly family stay with us uh because we are coming right You're listening to Love and Life with Carol Riddick on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. We are back. Welcome back, family. You are tuned in to Love and Life with Carol Riddick right here on WURD. And we are talking with Katie Sampson. And I was explaining before uh, we went to commercial that I would like um, a better understanding um of um 
because my understanding of a, a microaggression is is a, a slight or an, an, an insult or a put down and, and possibly an invalidation. If someone speaks in, 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 in an attempt to, maybe, I don't know if it's in an attempt, but maybe not even knowingly uh, invalidating, you know, someone. So I'm curious to know, because they say when you know better, you do better. I'm curious to know in what way was using the word challenging instead of disabled um, a microaggression. Yeah, I think at the, at the heart of it, um, the the term disability and the definition that that I use that that a number of people use is um, disability is an identity, a community, and a body mind experience, and it has been a term that's been reclaimed by people with disabilities uh, as a form as a statement of pride, um, as a way because we think about. Many terms related to disability identity have been claimed by non-disabled people, whether it's in healthcare, um, in you know different diagnoses, or um, you know sort of infantilizing people um, with disabilities. And so it's it's taking back that identity and honoring it, celebrating it. And so I think when when someone steps in without that perspective and, and that understanding of mm-hmm. a culture and an identity that actually has pride. I mean, people might question like, you have pride in being disabled? And it's like, yes, I've lived half my life in a wheelchair. And I know plenty of people that were born with their disability and they don't know any different. And right. we're a thriving, creative, problem-solving, hilarious, and feisty bunch. <laughs> right, <laughs> and right. We're, we're in every family, every community, every walk of life, and we've been ignored and relegated to the sidelines forever. And I think in the past probably 20 years, 10 years more progressively, it's just enough's enough. Sure, you know? sure, sure. No, thank you for that. Thank you. I want to share our family members are talking. Mimi Rock is joining us. Hello there, Mimi, sharing hello and good evening. So good to be able to tune in after the nice commute home. There was hardly any traffic. I love that for you. Um, Alfred shares, thank you. Uh, thank you for that response. He asked the question about Chicago. And he also references the definition of disability from the American Disability Act. Um, he shares that everything, I would say, is an experience of learning. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Nicole P shares, I respect what you're saying, Miss Katie, but I felt that a microaggression by definition is an intended insult. Maybe I'm wrong. And she follows that up by sharing as a black woman that receives microaggressions on a daily basis. I'm not sure if I can agree, but I do appreciate the empowering dialogue. That's okay. That's why I love having these conversations. Like, when we can understand the disagreement um, from different points of view and different perspectives. And I think that's what we're here for, right, Carol, to to have these conversations and to understand. And um, I think coming from a place as an educator and a place of learning, I'm always uh, in the understanding that I think because a lot of people in the disability community have have like pretty thick skin because they Mm -hmm. have to navigate getting up in the morning, perhaps dealing with caregivers, public transportation, you know, so many barriers that um, the, I think the one barrier that um, faces many marginalized communities the most is, is attitude. And if we can just slightly change 
those attitudes um, about stereotypes and um, ableist perspectives, then we are doing just a little bit better. That's so interesting. I thought I was making an effort not to be insulting and I was being insulting. Um, Alfred shares, or he asks actually, are those suffering from mental illness a form of a disability? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I think um, I prefer to actually not use affliction language, like suffered from, impaired with, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, things like that. But, um, you know, obviously... But, you know, you know, I, I, I understand. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We, I think the, um, the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Center for Disease Control would um, break up a lot of these into sort of buckets like psychological disability, um, sensory disability, mobility disability, things like that. Um, and so, yeah, we would we would think about mental health and wellness in that category of psychological disability. Mm. Uh, Learning disability as well. Learning disabilities are a disability, right? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Heather, cheers. Hello there. Hi, beautiful. Thank you for joining us. And Alfred follows up by sharing that conversation, communication is healthy. And we need to do more of that with respect in our country. So true. But you know, that's what we do. That's what we do here. We talk about everything. And I think it's, I think it's necessary. I think it's healthy. And I definitely am hopeful that it is helping some of us, if not all of us. Family, for those of you who have just joined us, welcome. You are tuned in to Love and Life with Carol Riddick. Right here on WURD, we are talking with Katie Sampson. And we are talking about why the disabled community prefers the term disabled as opposed to other terms. Um, Malcolm asks, what about cancer patients? Absolutely. Under the recent amendment, I say recent, as in 2010 to 2012, updates to the Americans with Disabilities Act, we call the ADAA. Uh, cancer was actually added as um, as a disability. And more recently, um, there's legislation with the Department of Justice to adopt long COVID as well as a disability. And um, addiction is also considered a disability under sort of the guidelines of behavioral health. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot there that, um, I think don't, people don't know about when, when talking about it. And I think what, if, if I could just reiterate that the disability community and identifying as a disability is anybody's personal preference. And mm-hmm. I, I say it's it's a community that anybody can join at any moment in time. And we, we welcome your your voice, any voice to that conversation or any perspective, any any feeling. But also, if if you don't choose to or don't wish to disclose, that's completely anybody's prerogative. We're not forcing anybody into it or strong arming them in, to join the community. It's it's really just a, a place of learning, a place of gathering. And and um, the disability justice movement was really started by black, brown, disabled and queer individuals to really understand that they had been left out of a lot of conversations around disability in particular. So when we talk about intersectionality, um, that is so much of the conversation that we're happening in these spaces that it's it's hard to remove one identity without removing another. Sure. Uh, Alfred shares that as a layperson to that area of healthcare, he appreciates 
your information. And he shares great question, Malcolm. He, Malcolm shares that he's a survivor of a bone marrow transplant. There was a spinal issue. I'm always oh. sorry to read that, Malcolm. Yeah. I hope you're doing better, Malcolm. And thanks for being with us. Uh, I'm going to take a moment to go to our phone lines, our family Members have been waiting to join the conversation. You too can join the conversation in case you were unaware. You can do so by dialing 215-634-8065, or you can call us toll-free at 1-866-361-0900. We're going to go to line one. Hello, and thank you so much for calling. Hello, Cal. Hello, Miss. How you doing? Hello, uh, loving life family. I want to talk about the disability before it became the American disability. It was just called disability. I'm going back to 1943. And as you remember, when Dr. Jonas Saul found the cure for polio, President Roosevelt had that disability. They were just calling it disability. I think it came in existence after his death, the American disability. And the Reverend Dr. Jonas Saul had that. I remember they called it polio, too. Do you recall the history when we used to go down south, I think the South Carolina, one, one of those states there, and you go sit in the warm water down there and do the, do the water therapy? And when I say, yes. When you, yes. Uh, and, when I, and what I am saying, when I look and take or look back at the history and come all the way up, when we look what the, the black people did not have access to a lot of the health things that they had back there, it was minimum at most. But when I really look at the, the progress have been made in the medical field, because Roosevelt never, uh, because he, he found a cure for it, I think, in 1954, if I'm correct. And what I'm saying, and I know we have a lot of concerns, but when we look at the country and where we are today, not utopian, we are still in a good country. At least we have access the medical health care. It is very important. I'm very fortunate to have a beautiful, my, my primary care doctor have been with me for quite some time. Here's my point. You as a, not you, but the person as a patient, it's very important that you ask questions to these medical people and you can make recommendations based on the, uh, what your body is going through. And that's very important. I want to say one other thing. I want to say last night when I heard what they said about Cal and our auntie, and I want to thank WRD family for uplifting her and just saying that. And then when I heard her husband, when I heard her husband say that she's going through another metamorphosis in the other stage of her life, I think with the Alzheimer's. And this yeah. is very important, very important that he have already, this gentleman and many more, and the love that we show, but what he has shown with this woman, with auntie, and the longevity, I think she'll be this fine. He, he, they have shown they care for one another. Auntie also said something that, 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 that it was so beautiful for her to say that. She said, trust. Trust in that relationship. She said she liked to go places, he liked to go places. So what Brian is saying, Look how all this came about. Cal brought her on. You don't know her. And Cal brought her on. And our, our, our WRD family loving life. Malcolm and all the calls was coming in and they were saying nice things about her. It is my hope that the almighty God let me meet her. And then I go through my cleansing process and I go through my meditation. 
I want to meet her with her, with her, with her husband's permission to touch her. I have something I want to say to her. I want to say to Auntie, uh, hopefully she will never forget it. And at the time, the crucial part of our lives, we're very fortunate if we have someone in your family to care for you. But this initiative that love in life, it mm-hmm. is a family within itself. What y'all have done last night, uh, beloved. Thank you, Lord Malcolm. Thank you for encouraging that and I hear that, to know that so many people care about her. And I say this to Cal, say this to Cal, as my hope, I don't wish, it's my hope that someone will bring, bring someone in cow life to care for her. I'm not talking to boyfriend or nothing. Just anybody's not going to come into cow life because she is too beautiful as a human being. And what will give cow the care for cow, whatever may be ailing her, and I hope it's minimum, when she know people care for her because cow is a care person in our family. And for her to create this segment of her program, it will be ever for grace. I hope the Almighty God, and He give our blessing. And on this earth, before she leaves this earth, that she would have someone, and 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 as she get much older, that would care for her. If the times had ever come at the crucial part of life, there's healing in that caring. Thank you, uh, uh, Thank you. loving life family. And if y'all get God noticed last night, and we noticed a couple of days, many people are calling from down something, not many, I don't want to fabricate nothing, but they're calling want to be a part of this program. And Cal, and I hope that you cry beloved. I want you to do that. And when I talk about Cal, let me say this. Once again, to the audience, I have never talked inappropriate to Cal. I've never said anything out of the way in reference to her relationships or anything like that, or even mm-hmm. they suggested with it. But to be, because she said something, and Ryan didn't heard a whole lot of things out of a whole lot of people. And this is what caused me to be appreciative and listen at when she talked. If you recall, Cal, when I called you one time on the, on, 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 on the radio, I tell on the radio, you was, you just, before you got your show. And I said to you, Cal, what happens after the curtain comes down? What happens when no longer you're performing? And that is this, that your life, your life, because you have given, may God be a couple to you. He will be there because you know the power of prayer. Yes. And I hope that someone will care for you, but they, that will care for you. That's what I really hope. My Lord, get out of Babel a little bit. And thank you for all the givers and all the people that y'all, Malcolm and y'all guys, you on this you. program here. This is one of the greatest ways that we've got me. I'm great. But this is one of the ways that you can say thank you to Cal. She liked my Malcolm and you got to love it too. When people call and have a guest call. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So much. So much. I, as you say, my cup runneth over. My cup runneth over um, with appreciation and gratitude to you. So thank you so much for that. Uh, family, we do have another call. I'm going to take this call. I know we're just before another commercial break. Katie, do you have a few more moments? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. perfect. Um, we do have another family member online too. Hello there, and thank you so much for calling. I'm going to make it fast. Uh, 
Excuse me, uh, Uncle Ron. Facts, bro. And Miss Carol. Yes. I'm going to go to rewind. Okay. To your relatives, your aunt and uncle. Uh, when I heard the story yesterday, it reminded me of the movie. I'm not going to mention names. To where Cicely Tyson and Luke Gossett stood on the beach and they had this story. And to me personally, it was more powerful than that, but that was powerful also. And I talked to a gentleman yesterday when I was trying to get through, he said, he made a statement that you come from good stock. Sister, your queen. Move on. Love you all. Love you as well. Thank you so much. Family, we're still talking with Katie Sampson. Thank you so much. If you are uh, have just joined us, you're tuned in to Love and Life with Carol Riddick right here on WURD. Um, Katie's going to stay with us for a few more moments. So family, stay with us while we go to commercial break. Thank you to both Ron and James for contributing to the conversation. Our family will be right back. You're listening to Love and Life on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. I think I know. Well, hey there, family. Welcome back. You are tuned in to Love and Life with Carol Riddick right here on WURD. We are talking with Katie Samson. And if you will recall, I shared that she is the accessibility consultant for Philadelphia Theater Company's production of Cost of Living, currently running through February 18th. We did have the cast of Cost of Living um, just a short while ago, if uh, if you remember. And to answer your question, Eric, yes, yes, I was re- referencing the play, Cost of Living. Um, we did have the cast members here. So, Katie, I'm still I'm, I'm still going over my um, oh, well, going over the com- digesting, I should say, digesting the conversation that we're having and the ex- the explanation you had given. And I'm still <laughs> I'm still. I still don't understand um, how using the word challenged instead of uh, disabled is a microaggression, especially because um, of the explanation I had given. And and let me family, let me say this, because I did apologize to anyone who uh, is insulted or felt insulted um, by by everything and anything that I did say. I just want to have a better understanding of what it was. Um, that was said. What I want to do, though, as you know, family, today is Thursday with Dr. Z and our beloved Dr. Z. She's actually here in the room with us. And I'm going to join her through the conversation as because she's someone who oversees an IDD agency. So I think that would be wonderful and beneficial to have her join the conversation with us. So family, I invite Dr. Z to the conversation. Welcome to the conversation, Dr. Z. How are hello, you? Hello, hello. <laughs> how are you? Good, how are you? I am well, thank you. Hello, Katie, how are you? Hi, Dr. Z. Nice to see you. Nice to meet you as well. <laughs> yeah. So Dr. Z, I, I, made, um, I made a comment Yes. I'm, well, what I said, we were having a conversation mm-hmm. uh, about disability and I said that I prefer to use the term challenged mm-hmm. as opposed to disabled because I, I, di- I thought um, that uh, I did not know it was an insult and I was in no way making an attempt to be insulting. But I thought um, my understanding 
of the word disabled had become like, like a, you know, a, 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 of less than. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, again, family, that's my own interpretation and perspective. So I thought by saying challenged, I thought that was evening the playing field because we're all challenged in some way. Everybody has a challenge. So I was explaining that, um, but Katie was sharing that because, and I want to make sure I have this right too, Katie. Katie, you were sharing that because an individual identifies as disabled, it could appear insulting or it is insulting to them to be to be um to for another term to be used is that the proper understanding yeah i think um the way that we were talking about um we think about it as um an unintentional or a well-intentioned microaggression um that is very subtle but oftentimes can be considered offensive for those who do identify um as part of disability culture and identify as disabled um so, and, well, no, I'm, I'm asking you, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, because I, I think that's a rude intro, but I want to understand um, how the word challenged is insulting as opposed to disabled. Um, I don't have that full understanding yet. Yeah, because... As, in order um, to make it a microaggression, that's what I'm trying right, to Right, because um, challenge, the term challenged is like saying differently abled or handy capable. It is like soft-stepping the issue and it's almost mm-hmm. like it's made to feel you more comfortable about using language rather than making the marginalized person feel more comfortable about themselves. And so remember that language provides currency to prejudice. So it's and using language can further marginalize people with disabilities. And it only deepens the divide rather than making people feel more welcome and comfortable with who they are. So it's based on your interpretation, basically. Yeah, of anybody's presentation. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. So the person to whom I'm speaking, it's based upon their interpretation. So it's not my intent, but based upon your interpretation of the word itself, you determine it to be a microaggression. It's it's not. It wasn't my intent for it to be. A absolutely, absolutely. So based upon your yeah. your own interpretation. Okay. Yeah, and I think um, you know if you look to. Um, you know, the disability etiquette guides that have, you know, come out in, in recent years from the United Spinal Association to uh, other forms like the United States Access Board, our federal government, they provide guidance in language and the way that oftentimes language can be deemed offensive, whether it's unintentional or not, just coming from a place of trying to learn better. And, um, and it's, you know, similar to the way in which oftentimes we think about naming and language uh, that we just maybe don't understand or don't know or don't have privy to um, in our personal lives or in our work experience and and things like that. You know, it's interesting that you, well, first, I'm sorry, I invited you, uh, Dr. Z, um, to the conversation. Um, so I'm curious to know, um, well, is this conversation a familiar one with you? I was sharing with Katie that I had no idea that this was even a conversation. It's definitely a conversation. It's a conversation that takes place in all marginalized groups in general, right? Because what's important for us to know is to learn the language. What is the language? What is the appropriate language to use when speaking around different marginalized groups? But as I look back and I went back, Carol, to see what did she say last week? And I I listened to it a little bit. I think for you, 
it was it was you you were operating out of a place of ignorance, right? If I can say you did not know that, oh, that terminology that you use could be con- considered offensive to many, not all. It could be offensive to many. So right. you you made a great point when you just said this idea of how it's received from the person. So in this case, for Katie, it sounded like in or in others, it may have been received as a form of disrespect or ignorance or lack of knowledge. However, I think we always process things through intent, right? When we talk about microaggressions, microaggressions is intentional and unintentional. But in your case, it was an unintentional act that Mm -hmm. you stated and you just needed to be redirected to say, no, we don't focus on things through a challenging lens. We focus on things through a disabled, abled lens. They are able to do certain things within their community versus what they're not able to do. So when you say challenge, it speaks to the disabled negative stereotype of it, if I can say, versus highlighting the strengths of this community. Right. Thank you, Dr. Z. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. It makes so much sense. So much sense. It makes so much. Well, first of all, thank you for that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I was like, I don't want Carol, and I know you're not. I was like, I don't want her beating herself up about this because at the end of the day, it was all about intent. And I saw someone say in the comments about microaggressions on the job. You're right. The intent of that microaggression is to hurt, is to disappoint, is to cause some type of uh, frustration or anger or, or or something not good. In your case, it was you just speaking in what you thought was strength-based language, right? Mm-hmm. Around a community that you weren't fully familiar with. And yeah, so exactly. people do it all the time and we learn from it. We reset ourselves from it and we make sure we use the correct terminology moving forward. Because truth be told, not everyone studies everything, all things, disability, everybody, right. Everyone's not sitting in trainings and learning the correct terminology, not even just around those who are disabled, Mm -hmm. even around any marginalized group, people are not learning the language. So sometimes these mistakes happen, but these conversations are necessary so that they don't keep happening. I'll give you an example um, to even stretch beyond language to think about behavior in microaggression, especially when related to disability. Um, and this is just from a personal experience. I, I'm not speaking for all d- disabled people in this regard, but um, I use a wheelchair. I've been a wheelchair user for 24 years. And oftentimes um, when I'm in a conversation with someone, maybe it's at a party or a gallery or a theater opening, um, people will, will crouch down to speak to me. And I think they're doing it from a place of respect to have mm-hmm. more eye contact. Um, they'll get down maybe on their knees and they look very uncomfortable, right? It's like, it's not a position that a lot of people want to hold for a very long time. Sure. But we also do that when we talk to children. And so oftentimes I find it slightly infantilizing and paternalistic when someone bows down to talk to me in that way. I want them to be comfortable and I want to have a conversation where they pull up a chair and we sit side by side or they just remain standing because the truth of the matter is they're a standing upright person and I am a seated person and let's just have a conversation in the way that we are. Um, And so that's an example of a behavioral microaggression. And I, as I said, I'm just speaking for myself and oftentimes I don't, really think about it too much, but sometimes it can be very obvious. And, uh, and I'll just ask a person like, Hey, let's go, let's go sit over on that bench so we can, you know, sit together or something. Wow. Wow. 
And, and to p- piggyback off of that and to speak to that, you know, as an individual who oversees a, a, a group home residential program for individuals with disabilities, one of the things that we do is train individuals around the language, right? How do we talk? Asking them, is it okay to help you? Do you need me to help? Not making the assumption that they absolutely need help, which I think speaks to Carol. Everybody doesn't know that, right? Your natural instinct is to do the thing that you've been accustomed to doing. And I think kudos to you, Katie, for being an advocate to speak up, to say, hey, that doesn't fit. That's not a one size fit all approach, right? There's different people who handle their disability, aka ability in, in different ways. But I think it also highlights the necessity for conversations like this and training because I literally have to train my staff on how do you interact with people so that they don't have situations like you just shared, Katie. Like, don't kneel down. They may, you can stand up. They'll be okay, right? Or don't assume that they need help and grab their arm. Ask them, do they need help and guide them through the process of whatever it is that they're doing. But on your natural mind and your natural moment, day-to-day interaction, if you're not around individuals who actually have disabilities, you don't know that, right? You don't right. know. How about that? How about that? Oh, MG. Uh, look, I'm looking at the time. Katie, I'm looking as we're going into our next segment. I just want yeah. to thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you for your time, your energy, your attention, for the explanation, for your spirit. Thank you for being open. And uh, just, just thank you overall for coming. It was such a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, we absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just love the, the conversation and the calling in about this topic and um, I encourage anybody that's still uh, available or interested to go see Cost of Living in Philadelphia because it's a it's a really beautiful show and it it um, and um, and if they want to reach out to the work that I'm doing at Art Reach here in Philadelphia, they can do so by visiting our website at www.art-reach.org. And I really appreciate Dr. Z you coming on and. Carol, thank you so, so much. And all the Love and Life audience, um, I, I really appreciate you. So thank you. Absolutely. Family, you heard that. Listen, we're going to. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 